It's nice to see all of you in your red and green. Uh, you guys have any favorite Christmas albums? Christmas records, Christmas tunes, uh, Christmas music. <laughs> okay. Handel's Messiah. Well, which version? have to try to find that one then. I'm always looking through for more good Christmas music or other renditions of tunes and stuff to listen to. You guys even play Christmas music in your home around this time? Oh boy. <laughs> Hot little drummer boy. I like that one. All right, we're gonna, oh, maybe, uh, since I already have some red up here, I can use some green here. I'll let you know we're just doing part two right here today. Here in Deuteronomy, we're looking at judges, king, priest, prophet. This is part two in this section in Deuteronomy, chapter 16. 18. Actually, the section starts in 1618. And this is Moses' exposition on the, the fifth commandment, which is yeah, honor your father and mother. We had that in uh, Bible baseball last night in a game we were playing. And you have to fill in the blank. It was like, blank, your father and mother. And the person who got that question didn't know the answer. They said, listen? <laughs> like a question. <laughs> but it's, it's honor, and that's the, the, the commandment that we're on. And it ties back in to the first two commandments, which has to do with honoring God. You know, there's, there's only one God that you're to worship, and you're not to have any idols. So... These chapters here are tying back into chapters 12 and 13, which is why you, and how you come to that sort of conclusion is you see the similar sort of language where you have the, the forbidding of adultery in these same chapters showing that the same sort of thinking is being tied together in all of that. As we've talked about the book of Deuteronomy, we've discussed it as Israel's constitution. This is the thing that defines them and helps them to understand how to, to live as God's chosen nation. They're to live by honoring God and thereby to, to live that out in the horizontal through honoring all delegated authority that he's established in life, which is why this section then breaks into this fourfold leadership structure of judges, king, prophets, or, or priest and prophet. And God, is, through this, is teaching them things about him, himself and his salvation. He's always doing that. He's teaching things about himself and how his salvation is going to work, which uh, ties into the reason for the season, which is the king prophet who came which maybe, uh, you know, looking at this section, you'll see that the, the way that this, the, the prophet is identified made people keep looking for the, this particular prophet, not just any prophet, but the prophet. So when you read through the Gospels and you see people asking the question, you know, are you the prophet? Are you the one who's like Moses that we were told to look for? Which that was asked to John the Baptist, and he's like, I'm not the guy. It's a different guy. <laughs> And as we've looked at this fourfold leadership structure last week, we looked at the judges. And the judges, what they're to do is to judge with righteous judgment. If you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, Deuteronomy 
You see the, the nature of the judges. They're to, to, they're to carry out righteous judgment. And verse 20 begins with righteousness. Righteousness you shall pursue. Now, I just, I gave you this, this the translation I'm using is Legacy Standard Bible. Some of you are probably seeing the word justice and you want to know why and what happened. Well, you can, re- you can always raise your hand in class or just, if I'm looking down like this, you can just say something really loud. Because uh, I had a question about this afterwards, but I want you to, to feel free that, you know, in the moment, like, what's going on here? Uh, don't, don't let me just leave you behind without answering your question. So the, the word can be translated righteousness or, or justice, obviously. Both are 100% correct. But what you're seeing in, in a, uh, if you have an LSB, what it's tying together is the last two words of verse 18. They're to judge with righteous judgment. The reason they have the same words there in verse 20 is to show you that Moses was using the same word. That they're to use righteous judgment and righteousness is the focus, which righteousness is this idea of God's justice, doing what is just, what is right. Those are just... Uh, synonyms there and it's connecting together you know the 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 judges to the priest which we're going to get to today Uh, they connect to the priest who go to God on their behalf for difficult cases we talked about these hypothetical situations you know if you come across a case that's too difficult for you what do you do well within the leadership structure, you go to the priest who then goes you know, up to God to get the, the answer for the judge and how to carry out what is righteous, what is just. But these judges also connect to the king. You see this, that's why I drew this out. Judges connect to priests, but judges connect to the king and this idea of establishing righteousness. So they connect to the king by aiding and establishing righteousness for true worship because what they do is they, they punish deviant worship. So that, that aids the, the king in being able to help people focus on one, one God, one worship system. Because all, all the other competitors are wiped out. And you have this language of forbidding idolatry. You see that in verses 21 and 22. They're not to set up any sort of false idols, sacred pillars, which... God hates, and that's the exact same language that's used back in chapter 13 on the second commandment. So the, again, showing us that this exposition of the, the fifth commandment that Moses is giving here connects back into commandments one and two. We also talked last week about the king, and he connects to the judge's role of establishing righteousness. Uh, he's to lead the people in righteous, righteousness by guiding them in worshiping Yahweh according to Torah. You remember what the, the king does? He's, he's a, a Bible publisher. And he, he, he writes the Bible. He reads the Bible. He, he guides people in following what it says. And he's to be a, a, a man of character that's not given to multiplying gold gals and giddy up. He's not a lover of money. He's not uh, greedy for gain. And this king connects into the prophet and it's somebody that, that God chooses. It's somebody that God raises up and he's to be from among the brothers. So that's how these two are tied together. They're tied, the king and prophet are tied together with that language of God choosing or raising up this particular individual. Uh, it's not that you guys just get to, to pick or vote for whoever you want just because he's handsome and tall, but you want God's choice and not just somebody who uh, looks good. And tied together with that language that it's from among their brothers, from the sons of Israel. So, king and prophet as you see they're singular they're, and they're to be tied into one particular individual that God chooses raises up is like Moses and from my, among their brothers and there's a whole list of things on which this guy is going to be like Moses 
Uh, one of them is that he's going to be a lawgiver. So when he shows up, he's going to stand up on a mount and he's going to give a new law. But it won't be the law of Moses. It'll be the law of, yeah, the law of Jesus, the law of Christ. You see it under that language in scripture. So today we're coming to the priest in chapter 18. If you look in that first verse, it's the Levitical priest. You know, circle that word priest just so you could find that simply in your Bible. And then in verse 15, chapter 18, verse 15, it says, Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet. You could circle prophet. That will help you to find these leadership positions quickly in your Bible. And as we begin to look at the, the priest together this morning, I'll begin us by praying. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for this word which you have preserved because you raised up faithful kings who wrote it down over and over and over such that it is preserved and we providentially have it today, this very day. We can read these words, which is an amazing thought, but we also live in the day in which the prophet who was prophesied to come that the people were to look for has come. That is Jesus, the great prophet. We thank you that he has come, that he has been born, that his life has been given as a substitute for ours, and more than this, that he has been raised from the dead, that we have been raised with him and in him into his life, a new kind of life, and to have the hope of resurrection to live with you forever in a totally redeemed place. We wait for and long for that day and pray that as we would study these things together in Deuteronomy this morning, that we would have a deeper devotion for our Christ, a deeper love for him, a, a greater awe and wonderment at the meaning of this holiday of Christmas, which we celebrate this day Bend our hearts towards heaven this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our fellowship. Thank you that we are together and that we can hear from you through your word this morning. Amen. So the priest, as you read of them here, chapter 18, so the Levitical priest, the whole tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat of the offerings to Yahweh by fire and of his inheritance, and they shall have no inheritance among their brothers. Yahweh is their inheritance as he promised them. Now this shall be the legal judgment for the priests taken from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, either an ox or a sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. You shall give him the first fruits of your grain, your new wine and your oil, and the first shearing of your sheep. For Yahweh your God has chosen him and his sons from all your tribes to stand to minister in the name of Yahweh all the days. Now if a Levite comes from any of your gates of the towns throughout Israel where he sojourns and comes whenever he desires to the place which Yahweh chooses, then he shall minister in the name of Yahweh his God like all his brothers, the Levites who stand there before Yahweh. They shall eat equal portions except what they receive from the sale of their father's estates. When you enter the land which Yahweh your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices soothsaying, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who is an enchanter or a medium or a spiritist or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to Yahweh, and because of these abominations, Yahweh your God will dispossess them from before you. You shall be blameless before Yahweh your God. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice soothsaying and to diviners. But as for you, Yahweh your God has not allowed you to do so. Well, the priests, as you can see as we discussed 
you know, the, the substance and nature of each of these roles. You know, well, well, what they are and substance is they're worship leaders. They establish worship within the nation. And what they do, that's their nature, the nature of their offices, they, they point to Yahweh, that there's, there's only one Yahweh and there's only one system of worship which when you think about Israel, they really struggled with this sort of concept that there's just one Yahweh. They think, well, no, there's like, there's like a lot of other gods. There's, you know, there's Asherah and there's Baal and then, you know, in Babylon, they have their gods there. And the, it was very hard for them to take on any sort of monotheistic concept of how <laughs> the world works, which is why they get told over and over Throughout the Bible, there, you know, Yahweh is one. There is one Yahweh. Even when you get all the way out in Isaiah and the big God chapters, it starts in chapter 40. He said, you know, I am God and there is no other. So what these priests do, they're pointing one Yahweh, one, one system of worship. You don't deviate from it. There's not two, two systems. You can't add some other things within this or say, well, you know, the Canaanites, like they have pillars and altars and stuff and we'll kind of take some of their concepts and blend it into what we're doing as well. What you could think of in terms of you know, accepting worldly wisdom into how we would worship as God's gathered people. So what the priests do is they help to form an organized body. Everybody's organized to worship one God with one system of worship. As we read, these Levitical priests, they have no portion or inheritance with Israel. Why do you think that is? Why, why do they have no portion or inheritance with Israel? Hint, it is... Well, my hint is going to be the word one. <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, so, so they don't lose focus. So this has to deal with the, this concept of allegiance, but they have, you know, a, allegiance and focus on one. There's one. Why do they have no portion or inheritance with Israel? Well, it says Yahweh is their inheritance. There's just one. There's just one Yahweh. There's, there's only one God. Uh, there's only one system of worship. And so God designed that even in their leadership structure for you know, this truth of them not having inheritance to communicate that to everybody and to remind them uh, of that within the, their nation, within that society. And the priest are going to get what they were promised, which is to have you know, Yahweh is their inheritance, and they're going to fulfill their role. Well, I, I have a question here that I just answered it, though. You know, can, can their role ultimately be fulfilled? <laughs> yes, it can be fulfilled, but there's certain things that have to happen. Uh, there has to be a king who has the right heart. He has to be a Deuteronomy 6 kind of guy. He has to only worship Yahweh alone and he has to love him with all of his heart. He has to listen to him, perfectly obey him. So there has to be a king that meets that qualification. The other thing that the king has to be able to do is change everybody's heart in the kingdom also. It's a big task, which is why when you come to the prophet Isaiah, the big question that that book answers is, who can fulfill the Davidic covenant? And the whole book is answering that particular question within the setting of a, a court case against Israel. I'm going to start rambling about Isaiah. We'll get, we're going to actually get into <laughs> some Isaiah a little bit here. So the king has to have the right heart and make everyone else's heart right so that the priests can fulfill their role. So we're looking at a time in history where there is a king like that and he helps the priests to be able to 
fulfill their role in the worship system that God has established. And so they're tied together again in this establishing of righteousness. So you think uh, these words, you know, judgment and righteousness, you should expect to see them close to each other in the Bible and often, and it to be related to God's king or these sort of guys and the future Messiah. So if the king gets it right, the priest will end up getting it right. But where do the, the priest get their stipulations on what they're supposed to do? Well, they connect into the prophet. At this time in history, who's, who's the prophet? Starts with an M. Yeah, Moses. He's the one who tells them, this is what you guys do. And... So that's the relationship there of the priest and the prophet. But what the prophet does is he, God's word comes to him and he brings it down to instruct everybody and what they're to be doing. But there's a, you can see in the, the grammar here, the king and the prophet are singular, which is making a point. It, it's one guy, but it, somehow there's one guy that can fulfill both offices. And Moses you know, he says of the prophet, it's one like me. That's in verse 15. He says, Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. You shall listen to me. So you see, it's, it's one guy is like Moses. Well, in what ways do you think he's like Moses? And what's unique about Moses as a prophet from other prophets? How many other prophets you know, received and administered a covenant? Yeah, ju just Moses. Uh, he, he's unique as a, a covenant administrator. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more when, uh, about some uniqueness with him, but for now, you know, he, he administers a covenant which no other prophet ever does. So this one that's like him is going to administer a covenant, but it's going to be a new one. It's going to be a different one. This is that sort of concept I'll talk about where you have to, you have to move, you grow up in Moses' house, but then you move out of his house to go live under Jesus' house. It's the, you know, uh, a maturing of the ages, I guess you could think of it like that, you know, a, a coming to age sort of thing. And there isn't a true covenant mediator, administrator until we get to Jesus, which we're going to hear from Jesus himself in the book of Isaiah in chapter 49, if you want to turn over there with me. Isaiah is an easy one to find because it has a whole bunch of chapters as opposed to like those minor prophets, they're teeny tiny and you can never remember what order they're in. So starting here at the beginning of uh, chapter 49, this is Jesus the servant. You know, this is what he's known as. You know, again, this, remember this book of Isaiah, it's answering, who can fulfill the Davidic covenant? Who can be a forever king? It's like, well, it's my servant. My servant can do that. So you're learning more about this king as a servant, and you're hearing from the servant himself here in chapter 49 and he says, listen to me, O coastlands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. Yahweh called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he made my name to be remembered. He has set my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. And he, all, he has also set me as a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show forth my beautiful glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my might for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with Yahweh and my reward with my God. You see here that, you know, Jesus, as he is speaking, he talks about that he is called my servant, Israel. He, he's called Israel. Why do you think that is? 
Why do you think that he is called Israel? Think about that in relationship to a king. What does a king do for his people? It starts with an R. Yeah, he, he rules on, he represents, he represents the people. And whatever he, he does is how everybody else is known. So the king has to represent them in righteousness. So in him being called Israel, God's saying, I'm going to look at, at him and whatever he is, you are that also. Uh, because you're going to be one with him. He's going to be your representative Sometimes we talk about this in the con- it's you know corporate solidarity, but it's it's the corporation, but they're in solidarity with one. Or you could say there's the one who represents the many. There's one king who represents everybody else. And you see this idea tied in verse five, forty nine five. So now says Yahweh, who formed me from the womb, to be his servant, to return. Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am glorified in the sight of Yahweh, and my God is my strength. So you see that he is called Israel so that he might gather Israel into himself. So you have the one and the many, you know, the, the representative of everybody, and then all of his people that's brought into and under him. So what you learn about this servant in Isaiah is that he, he's going to come to Israel in exile. And he's going to do that to bring about uh, a new exodus, which is why you have that repetition in Isaiah from Exodus about them being you know, taken up on eagle's wings. To remind, so you remember the other eagle, eagle wing exodus thing? So there's going to be a thing like that that happens in the future, but it's going to be way better. Because after it happens, there's not going to be a bunch of grumblers and complainers on the other side of it because he's going to come and do something better than just move them, you know, geographically. He's going to give them the new hearts that they need so that when they're, you know, moved again, they're going to be grateful for it. And it's going to be way better when that one happens because it happens with a, a better covenant mediator, a, a better covenant itself, which is enacted on better promises. So this, this guy, which we know it's Jesus, uh, he's going to be like Moses, but he, he doesn't just merely administer the covenant, but I want you to see something else about him in verse 8. 49.8 says, Thus says Yahweh, in an acceptable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you, and I will guard you and give you for a covenant of the people to establish the land to make them inherit the desolate inheritance. So now you learn more about this servant king. He doesn't just merely administer a covenant, but he is a covenant himself. Which the idea with a, a, a covenant is that it, it establishes a, a new relationship. Where there wasn't a relationship, it establishes it. And another thing that covenants do is they, they frame and forward history. So all the biblical covenants do that. Say, so think back to the Noahic covenant, for example. You know, it establishes God's relationship with fallen creation, but it frames and forwards it that everything has to move into God's rest. It, everybody needs it, and it's the goal for creation. So that's why I talk about it as the the rest for the restless railroad. It's got to, it has to follow down those railroad tracks. But now you hear Christ himself, the king servant, is a covenant. So he's going to establish a relationship with people and he's going to frame and forward history himself. You know, everything a covenant does is wrapped up in who he is ultimately. He's the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The suffering servant is a king who also does the work of a priest. I think you could uh, hear that in there that you know, he establishes justice tied to the judges. Uh, his reward is with his God. That's back in verse 4. 
you hear this priestly language, you hear this judge language with him, you hear it's like everything's wrapped up in him and pointing to him. And he's going to be a prophet like Moses, but better. Think about the Gospel of John when Jesus comes. Can you think, just think through the Gospel of John and you think of any comparisons between Jesus and, and Moses that kind of keys off to this is our Deuteronomy 18 guy. What, think John chapter 1, what, what came through Moses? Yeah, blank came through Moses, but blank and blank came through Jesus. Yeah, the law came through Moses. Yeah, truth and grace, grace and truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Exodus 34 name of God is Jesus. Yeah, loving, loving kindness and truth. Yeah, chesed and amen. Yeah, grace and truth. Uh, that's who he is. But you see, there's a comparison. He says, think about Moses, think about Jesus. Who's the prophet that's like Moses? Jesus. Uh, you remember the whole debacle with the people who didn't have bread and they were telling Jesus, you know, they were wrong when they said this, but they said, you know, Moses gave us bread in the wilderness, but what sign do you perform? You know, kind of like, are you the prophet that's like Moses? Because if you are, you would do this. You're like, well, first of all, Moses didn't give them the bread. I did. <laughs> like, wait, but like, weren't you born on Christmas Day? <laughs> Which, just as a side note, uh, you know, why do, why do we celebrate Christmas on December the 25th? Constantine. Yeah, people, they look back at March, it's a, you know, since Jesus died around March, you know, if you went back and he was also born uh, on, on March, then and you, or was conceived then, and then you moved forward, you know, nine months, which is actually 10 months. When you actually, like, have a child, you find out that whole nine-month thing is actually 10 months. You're like, what is happening? When is this When's this birth going to come? So just so you know, it's actually 10 months if you've never had a child. <laughs> so you're not surprised. But anyway, they count March, nine months, December. Let's just put his birthday right there. <laughs> we don't know that that's the exact date, but that's how it happened in history. <laughs> All right, back to our regularly planned discipleship training lesson. Connection between... Uh, Judges and the priest. Now you remember the priest. It's a, you know people. You can't plant Asherah poles anywhere. You can't set up you know sacred pillars of other gods anywhere. You know, no no idolatry. Well, the judges and the priest are tied together in their their ministry. You look at, well, back in Deuteronomy eighteen nine to eleven, it says you shall not learn to. Uh, Imitate the abominations of, of the nations. Is it, you know, none, none of their idolatries, uh, talking to the dead, making a child pass through the fire, divination, like future telling, omens, sorcery. You know, find, finding somebody else besides God to tell you what's going to happen in the future. They were to enforce that together with the judges. So you see all these leadership positions are all tied together. So when it comes to these, you know, vertical and horizontal concepts as we've talked about it, what the priests do is they move people up vertical to God. And you think they're, they're, they intercede for the people. You know, they're performing these sacrifices that make people mindful of God and they're, they're, taking, you know, what needs to be interceded for the people, namely their sin, up to God. 
But now what the prophet does in relationship to that vertical is that the prophet moves down on the vertical. You have God's word that comes down to the prophet and then out to the people to instruct them. And Moses and his you know, exposition here on the fifth commandment ends with the prophet, which is also how the book of Deuteronomy ends. It ends with the prophet and a prophet who I think foretells his, his own death. So if you wonder where I'm going to land on that, if I think Joshua wrote it or Moses wrote it, I think Moses wrote it. I think he foretold his own death. And I come to that conclusion because Jesus just calls it the book of Moses. He doesn't call it the book of Moses and that thing that Joshua added on the other end. Maybe it went that way. I don't know. We, we can... Uh, Ask them at the marriage supper of the lamb if we're close to them. Like, Joshua, did you write it or not? Tell us. <laughs> but if you don't agree with me, it's, it's okay. We have an arm wrestling match and we'll decide it that way. <laughs> Which, you see, be, be, a, a prophet was near and dear to, to Moses' heart because that, that's what, it, what he was for the people. And he, he loved God and, and he loved the people. And this prophet, it, you know, one, I think, I, I think you, it helps you understand this part of the book and how Deuteronomy ends because they're looking for one that's like him. And you see, there's, there's only one prophet. During the time of Moses, there's one prophet. So there's going to be a time when there's just one prophet, which is why... John the Baptist had to, to decrease. You know, all the other guys had to be off the scene. So it's like, this is it. There's just one. And these passages, well, uh, obvious enough that it's talking about one guy. They say he'll be like me. It doesn't say, you know, he'll be like us prophets. It says he'll be like me, Moses. It'll be one guy from among your brothers, and you shall listen to him. You know, it's one guy who's going to come in the, the future. And this is how it's in, interpreted later in Scripture as well, as you would expect, because the Bible writers are the best Bible interpreters. And I'll give you one example of that, Acts 3.22 and keep your place and flip over there and see this, Acts 3, 22. So here's Peter preaching to his Jewish brothers here. 322, and he says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. To him you shall listen to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also proclaimed these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant which God made with your fathers saying to Abraham and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed for you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways which I'm thinking just you know having some of the background you probably tied together a lot of things and hearing that you have a Jewish Peter talking to his Jewish brothers who is like well who, who is the prophet I was like well it was Jesus you, you guys should have listened to him and even if you didn't then you should now today is the day to, to listen to him he says this is the one that you know, Moses spoke about and then all of his successors from Samuel onward he says, you guys are the sons of the prophet. He says, in the, the covenant which God made with your fathers, which he doesn't, he doesn't talk about the Mosaic covenant because it's gone. He says, this is according to the covenant of promise, which is with Abraham. 
He says, and it's that one seed, he says, that one prophet, that one seed that came from Abraham is the one that it brings you into to his family to be that great nation which brings blessing to all nations. He says, God raised up his servant. So his servant makes you think of what prophet in the Bible? It starts with an I. Yeah, Isaiah, his servant. It's like, it's, it's that guy. It's like all this stuff is tied together. And it's like, well, what does that, that servant do? He turns your hearts. Is it because he's the king's servant who, who has the Deuteronomy 6 heart and gives you the Deuteronomy 6 heart as well. So he, he alone can fulfill the Davidic covenant. In this section on the prophets, well, let's read it. Let's read it. In 1815, Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of Yahweh your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. And Yahweh said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their brothers like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it will be that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Now, you may say in your heart, how will we know the word which Yahweh has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which Yahweh has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So there's also this warning of false prophets here, which now says false prophecy is going to, to come and still happens today, which usually functions as some sort of crafty political move to propagandize people. I thought about this while I was reading through Jeremiah and my own Bible reading. You know, Jeremiah says, you know, exile's going to be 70 years. False prophet says, no way, guys. Pack your bags. We're going to be out of this. There's, there's going to be peace. You're not going to go into exile. Jeremiah says, you should build houses and plant some gardens. You're going to be here for 70 years. <laughs> but, you know, the false prophets, it, it didn't happen that way. It's like, well, how do you know? It's like, well, it's been a couple days and we're still here. Yeah, it's been a few years and we're still here. We're like in the year 11 in this thing. We're still here. Maybe those guys are wrong. <laughs> Maybe Jeremiah's right. And sure enough, he was. Uh, today, how do, how do we know if a prophecy is true? Or you think about this, prophecy isn't just future telling. It can be forth telling, just even explaining why things are the way that they are today. But how do you know if you've gotten... Uh, false prophecy or false interpretation about the Bible from somebody. Yeah, does it agree with what God has already said? You think about that when, you know, again, back in Isaiah 40 to, to, to 48, that, those big God passages where he's, he's saying, you know, I'm God and there isn't another and one of the ways that he challenges the, the false idols, he says, bring them out and have them tell us something accurate that happened in history. He says, they can't do that. He says, I'm the only one who can give you an accurate history. He says, let them come out and tell us something that's going to happen in the future. He says, oh, they can't do that either. Like, Why don't you just have them come out and just say anything? <laughs> They can't, even, they can't even speak. They can't even say to you, no, don't throw me in the fire. 
<laughs> when you take them after you've made them to then warm yourself with these speechless idols and you've become like them, you can't hear or speak what is right. But when we come to figure out if something is uh, from God or not, you know, as Corey mentioned, we, we, we go to the word of God. We go to accurate history, you know, uh, an accurate telling of what is even going to happen in the future. Uh, we have all of that in God's word, which, you know, again, the book of Deuteronomy is functioning like that for Israel. He's saying, the way that you understand yourself right now in this moment is by understanding where you came from and where you're going, understanding your history and your future. And it works like that for us as well. But we have more revelation we actually have all the way to the book of Revelation. We have something that explains our history and where we're going so we know how to live today. So when it comes to somebody wants to give us a, a prophecy or an interpretation of God's word, well, how do we test that? Well, we test it by going back to God's word. You know, this in 1 John, it talks about testing the spirits to see whether they are from God. Well, how do you do that? Well, you go to the Word of God. You say, well, what did God say? You, know, you don't just sit around and like wait for some sort of feeling. You're like, well, I, f I feel pretty good about this, so maybe this is what God's saying. Well, you can, you can feel good about all sorts of bad things. That's why you sin sometimes, because uh, you think it feels right to do it, but uh, your feelings are wrong <laughs> sometimes. And you have to live by what is true, not by what you feel. All of these offices here depend on the word of God. All of them had to test everything by the word of God. What did he say when it comes to the judges? Righteous judgment. Where does righteous judgment come from? Righteous God. That's the only place we can get it. You know, righteousness isn't found in us. It's not found uh, in, in the world. It's not found in uh, the wise people of this world. It's found in God alone. It's the same for the king. You know, what was his focus on? It was on the word of God. And that's how he cultivated a heart for God. This is how he cultivated fearing God. This is how he would listen to him, which you can't listen to him without listening to him. And the way that he's spoken is through his word. Same thing for the priests. They are to live by God's word alone. So if somebody said, well, let's build another altar. said, God has only authorized one altar. But if you want to build another one, we must execute you on it, destroy you and it. And we're going to go talk to the judges about you. <laughs> Same thing with the prophet. He, he was to speak only God's word and would be the one who would you know, give new revelation in, in the future, which one thing that's really interesting is you don't really have a lot of new revelation in a lot of ways from, from Deuteronomy uh, onward. You think uh, the Torah or Genesis through Deuteronomy was their Bible. You know, this was the thing that the king was writing down. So maybe you think, man, it would take forever to sit down and write out the whole Bible. Well, maybe you should try it sometime. You can do that as a devotional practice. Just write out Genesis through Deuteronomy and see what it does for your soul and report back to us when you're done and uh, let us know if you'd recommend it. So consider that. Let me know if you start doing it. Maybe you can all like, like some of us could like partner together and, and do it. Because if you try to like do it by yourself and you know, you don't want to like give out in Leviticus or something. If you have somebody else doing it, like, man, I got to tell them that I, I got through that other chapter this week. And I'm like, and I'll just keep you motivated. So all of these things funnel into to God's word it, because everybody is supposed to be living by God's word alone, which we read about in Deuteronomy. You know, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and that he's given us through the leadership structure that he's put over us, which is what Moses is preaching about here in the, the fifth commandment. So why, why is obeying government so important? Because that's part of what he's talking about here. 
It's delegated, this, these are delegated authorities. And we have that, we're uh, under a different sort of administration in the world right now. Things work a little bit differently, but we're still to obey government. Why is it so important? God tells us to, yeah. Uh, yeah, God said, it says in his word. Uh, why is obeying your parents so important? Yeah, God says to, this is how the, well, one, it honors God. It's tied to these first two commandments. And it's how, when you're not doing that, it's because you, you have an idol somewhere. There's something that you esteem more than God and you're gonna live this other way. But you see the, the vertical and the horizontal is always tied together. So it's like, well, if you think, well, I, I don't have to obey government. I don't have to obey my parents. Well, it's because ultimately you have an issue with God. You think, well, one, he's not good and I can't trust him on this. It's too dangerous to trust him. You know, if, if I do that, I might be putting myself at, at risk. Or, you know, actually, I think I have a better idea than what God has told me to do. And if I do this, I'll save money on my taxes. It's like, eh, bad idea. You're, you honor all delegated authorities and ultimately because they point to Christ. You know, as we've seen, all of this stuff is tied into pointing to him and your submission to him and your trust that he's going to make everything right. You trust, he knows what he's doing right now. Uh, even in a dark time like Christmas was, you know, when it talks about this child who would be born, there's two D words that describe December and it's darkness and death. So people were in the dark, they were in ignorance about God, that life was difficult. There, there would be the, the death of children under two, you know, after Jesus' birth in order to try to uh, wipe them out, which, you know, this is a tie to, he's a prophet like Moses who was living during a time when the king was killing the male children to stop the prophet from being born. So the reason that we obey government, we would obey parents is because we trust God. We trust what he's doing. Uh, we're submitting to his greater authority. And it's also an imitation of Christ who has authority over the church and he submitted to his father even unto death. So you think about, you know, sub submission can cost you things. You maybe think of times in your life you think, man, if I, if I submit to this, it could mean suffering. That happened with Jesus. If I submit to this, it, it could mean death for me. Well, Jesus submitted to the father even unto death. It's a way to imitate Christ and to honor him. So you see, there's theological reasoning behind everything that's driving what happens in Deuteronomy, which uh, has application even for us today in trusting God and how he has delegated authority in the world. And uh, we honor him when we honor those authorities. Now, the judges and the king... Judges and king tied together, as we've talked about. They both point to God's righteousness horizontally. You think about the, the king, is, he has the bigger and broader rule over everything. And you think about, here's the priest here, tabernacle worship. He can get in the court there, and then you have the, I have to count 12 of these here. the 12 cities that would be around that with you know, one God, one worship system is central to that. But the judges would oversee just a city. The king would oversee the kingdom. But they're, they're tied together and having an overseeing role, but the king is bigger and broader, but the judge is more particular to a city or a place. And the king's going to regulate what the judges do because he upholds the ultimate law. Yeah, he's the ultimate law upholder. And he even 
is the, the judge of judges and that he even executes judgment well, over the judges if they go awry within their cities. Priest, priest and prophet here, they both point to God vertically. They're tied to worshiping one God, one place, you know, moving you up to him and then bringing his word down to you. The priests, they establish worship. The prophet provides the instruction about that worship and how it's carried about. And what this is, is you know, this is application. This is Bible application for the Israelites. You know, how do you live out commandments one and two, commandment number five? That's how you live it out. And it's enforcing you know, chapter 12. There's one God and you worship in one place which he chooses now, judges and priests, why do you think they're in the plural? Which here's her, the priest. Well, actually, I was like one, two, three, and four. You know, that's where they lived. Why are they in the plural? Well, because they're in the plural. Uh, there's multiple priests, multiple judges. They're all over the place. But why is king and prophet Singular. Yeah. There's one, it's this idea, there's a, there is a central authority from which you know, all other authority comes. And there's a central authority which when you tie the, the king and the prophet together, he's the one who ties the vertical and the horizontal together. You know, God and the people are tied together in this one individual and these two laws of a you know singular king singular prophet uh, was a, a contrast to the other nations other nations would perhaps uh, choose their king for themselves which was what went wrong with Israel which was prophesied about them here he said you you guys will choose a king for yourself. But he says, the way it should work is that I choose them. That's how it should work. And this was different than how people did things around them. But you see, Israel, with their leaders, was to have radical alternatives to the other nations around them. You know, they weren't the king choosers, but they were to trust God and his choice of a king which David was better than Saul. You know, that's where that goes, you know, early on in history. And Jesus is better than everybody. And the promise of kings coming isn't something that happens right here in the Bible. Uh, I'll just show you real quickly. Genesis 17, 6, all the way back in the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to move quickly through some passages and tie this all together and conclude. Genesis 17, 6, within the Abrahamic covenant, the Lord says to Abraham, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will go forth from you. So it's promised all the way back to Abraham. Move forward to Genesis 49, 10. says, the scepter, that's a king, king rules with a scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Shiloh's name for peace. It's the idea there's going to be this scepter of peace or king of peace who's from Judah and every knee will bow to him. So we're looking for this particular king that was prophesied so long ago that would be so different than the nations that are around him. So people are anticipating a king. They also would anticipate a prophet, as we talked about. And I want to skip really far in the Bible all the way to John 121. And give you a few things for your own 
meditation on these ideas and how they develop in Scripture. John one twenty one. we had talked about this with uh, John the Baptist. Says, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. They're saying, you know, are you the Deuteronomy 18 guy? Mm-mm. But uh, he was instead the king announcer. Now John 4, 19, the woman of the well says to Jesus, she says, the woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. He was understanding, this, this is the guy here. John 17, 18, you know, what, what did, you know, thinking about uh, that prophet in Deuteronomy, uh, he says, you shall listen to him. What's he gonna do? The word of God's gonna come to him. It's gonna come to you. You shall listen to them. Now you, you hear the prophet praying, Jesus, that is, in 17, 8, he says to God, for the words which you gave me. That's what happens with the prophet. It's the words which are given to him. He says, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood. And I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. So you can see those prophet sort of concepts. Word of God comes to him, through him, to the people as the prophet. Matthew 21, 11. These are all in your cross-references to Deuteronomy 18 if you have a legacy standard Bible inside column reference. There should be one in the book rack, if there's, and if there's not, there's some in the office, and they're only 34 bucks. I bought a case at a discount price. So, uh, Merry Christmas if you want one of those. We'll get one for you. Matthew 21, 11 says, and the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. You know, this is the section we call the, the triumphal entry. It's like, well, who is this guy riding in on the donkey like we have heard prophesied in Genesis 49? That's what it ties back into. And this is, this is the prophet Jesus. You know, they're recognizing, you know, uh, who he was, but he also had to be the suffering servant and bear the cross before he would bear the crown. And then we already read Acts 3.22, but looking forward to after Jesus' ascension in Acts 7.37 as just a final example here that we'll close with. This is, you know, Stephen here preaching what Peter had preached. He says, this is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who in the congregation in the wilderness was with the angel who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received living oracles to pass on to you. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but rejected him in their hearts. And in their hearts turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. At that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you present me with slain beasts and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god Ramtha, the images which you made to worship. I also will remove you beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nation whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. David found favor in the sight of God and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. 
but Solomon built a house for him. However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my rest? Was it not my hand which made all these things? You men, stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, who, betray, who betrayers and murderers you have now become, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not observe it. So if they had observed the law, they would see all, all of these offices are tied to Jesus, who is the righteous one. Everything's tied up into him, pointing to him. He is the king prophet who does the work of a priest on behalf of his people and will execute ultimate judgment and even use the 12 tribes of Israel as judges, just like he said to his disciples. When he reigns on his throne, they'll reign on their 12 thrones from the capital of the planet, which is going to be Jerusalem, turned into a museum with 12 gates, which will make it easy for us to get in and out and visit the place of the Museum of Redemptive History. That's what I call it. Look forward to visiting there in the future with you all. Hope that this uh, lesson perhaps uh, deepened your meditations on the prophet who came on Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, how intricate and amazing is the word which you have revealed to us. And even you yourself is the word, the one who has explained to us God himself because you are God. You are the king prophet. You are Yahweh. You are our salvation. You are our righteousness. Pray that you help us this day to hear from you, from your word, to love you more, and to love one another, to enjoy the fellowship that you have brought us in, that you would deepen our devotion to you, our enjoyment of you this Christmas season, and to do all of that for the glory of your name and the greatness of your abundant grace that you have shown us. Amen.